Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. And to bring you the Word of God and uh, to open up the Word of God and just have it be a blessing. I look back at those years. I pastored for 33 years. I, was, I came out of a charismatic Pentecostal background. My mom and dad were spirit-filled. My dad had small churches, too small to even support us. And uh, I felt a call into the ministry at a very, very young age. And uh, so I, I studied after the final. I didn't have enough money to go to Bible school. I mean, my, when we got married, my wife and I, I did have enough money to finish out the semester that I was in a Bible school, a small Bible school, but I didn't have enough money to go to Bible college or anything like that. I'd love to have gone to a Rama had they had it when I was you know, getting in the ministry, but I devoured books. I devoured tape series. I just listened to the best. I'd find out who was the absolute best and study after them. And I figured, I'm getting it free. These guys had to pay for it to go to hear these guys, and I get to hear it free. And that's what I would just want to recommend to you. You know, churches, you know, two, three times a week you go to church maybe. But Jesus Christ is alive every single day. Right. And you need to study after his word. Let me just tell you one thing he was saying about heaven, all the praise and worth is going to be going on there. I can't find a place where we're going to learn the word of God in heaven. There'll be opening up, no opening up of the Bible. Why? Because we'll have experienced it all. Who's going to get saved? We're already there. Who's going to get filled with the Spirit? Too late now. That was, that was for down here, you know? We can go down every list of things that we're not going to. I think we're going to learn in heaven, but you know what? We'll see it and we'll understand it. We won't have to be taught. So what's there left except to praise God forever and forever for all He did for us through the cross of Jesus Christ. So what a great time. I was a, on a TV program one time. They came and they asked me to be on this show. And I didn't know it, but this guy that was leading the, the program that day did not even like praise and worship. And so the first question he asked me is, what good is praise and worship? I don't like it. I think it's unnecessary. We ought to go right into the Word of God. Why do you think that we need praise and worship? I said, why plow the ground before you plant the seed? It's important to get all hearts aimed in the same direction. It's amazing we can have, you know, 100 people come to church, 200 people come to church, and their hearts are in 200 different directions. Praise and worship pulls them all in the same direction, prepares the ground for the sowing of the seed of the Word of God. So it's good to know your pastor. Great to, we, we talked about names I hadn't heard of yesterday for years, and uh, they're still out there somewhere, still serving God. So it's a great honor to be here. And, uh, you know, he did mention something else, too, about was that Lutheran church you're going to be going to? You know, I've recently joined a Baptist church because the church that I had, it just, you know, the church, it's, it's good today. It's very good today. But my wife and I just really long for the Word of God. And you know it's getting harder to find churches that teach the Word of God? Yeah. It is. I mean, they, they, more, everything today is life lessons. Yeah. You know, and that's good. There's times you apply it to your life, but that is not what the Word of God is for. It's to be devoured. Line upon line, precept upon precept. It is your daily food. And I just want to tell you something. I know there may be other churches around town, but you have to understand something. If they've accepted Jesus Christ, what does it matter what the badge is? They're born again. When a Muslim cuts off your head, they don't ask if you're a Baptist, Methodist, or Catholic. They just, they think we're all Christians. Why can't we? Why do we get so upset with somebody else? Because they're not going to be asked at the, at the gates of heaven, were you a Lutheran or Baptist, or ask one question, did you accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life? Come on in here, we'll straighten out all the other stuff for the next eternity, okay? So anyway, great to be here. Uh, things on the table, I've got um, books here. This is the one I wanted to mention most of all. This is one of my greatest sellers among young people. It's called Let God's Will Find You. But half the book, the first half of the book is Finding a Mate. Because it's no different finding a mate than it is finding the will of God. You don't have to chase around looking for a mate. Church to church, youth group to youth group, you know, singles group to singles group. You don't have to run around to all these different places trying to find it. I found in the word of God, if you'll stand still, the word of God or the will of God will find you. There's not a place in the word of God where they were, where they were doing, looking for the will of God. They were either plowing, as, as Elisha was, working the threshing floor. They were tending sheep, and God's will found them. And all I can tell you is just get busy serving God, and God will bypass a million miles and send somebody to you to, find, for, to show you the will of God and to even bring a mate. We had a lady in our church, and she came, and you know she sang in praise and worship, wonderful woman, and she came to my wife and I one day after a couple of years and said, I'm leaving the church. I said, why? She said, all the good men are taken. She said, there's not a good one left in this church. 
And we said, yes, there is. She said, no, no, they, I've already looked around. They're all, all taken. I'm going to go over to Victory Church and go over there where Billy Joe's the pastor. And I said, well, why are you going to do that? She said, because I think there might be some more over there. I said, why don't you just get busier in this church working for God even more than you're doing right now? And why don't we pray and expect God to send somebody over here? Because I believe if you'll get busy serving God, he'll send somebody from halfway across the world just to be here, to find a call here. And she said, what do I do? I said, well, just get more involved in praise and worship. Just do some more around the church and just absorb yourself in serving God and let him be the one that finds you. You know, in the case of Isaac and Rebecca, Isaac didn't even leave. He just said, send out a servant and I'm gonna keep on doing what I'm supposed to do. And that servant went out. You said, well, I don't have a servant. Yes, you do. He's called the Holy Spirit. Send him out and just get busy serving God. And when he and his wife met, they saw each other. They knew they were right for each other. I was serving God going to Bible school. My wife was singing in the choir of church. She joined the church and we saw each other at choir practice one day. And the moment we saw each other, we both knew we were right for each other. God had sent her from one side of town, me from the other side of town, and we met in church. And I can honestly tell you, for the 10 years after that, when we first got married, we lived happily off and on ever after. So <laughs> we, did have, we did have marriage problems. Yes, we did, but God worked it out. It's wonderful to know deep down God pulled you together. And therefore, you can work it all out. So that's found in here. Let God's will find you. And so whether it was marriage, you know, Adam woke up and va, va, boom, there was Eve. God brought her to him. And throughout the word of God, that's been the way it is. Even finding God's will is just get busy serving him. And in the Bible, they were, I mean, they were working, like I said, threshing floors. They were working in the fields. They were tending sheep. They were, uh, you know, fishing, collecting taxes, all those things when the will of God found them. And so it really eases up the Christian life. Just serve him and God will see to it. Everything else is supplied. Other things back there, I've got a class that I teach at, uh, at Andrew Womack's Bible College. It's called Theology Simplified. And I take eight different lessons from there of difficult sounding words and make it simple because that's what the word of God is. Life and power are the two major ministries of the Holy Spirit, the new birth and being filled with the Spirit. And then there's just a lot of other things back there that I know you're going to enjoy. And I'm here to teach the word of God because that's what I enjoy doing. So open up, if you would, to the book of Luke. To the book of Luke chapter 23. And I want to take us back to the word of God and to the time when Jesus, we sang about this morning, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God where Jesus died on the cross for us, where this whole thing started, where the plan of redemption started. And I want you to take a look with me, and we're going to talk about the two thieves that were nailed beside Jesus Christ on the cross. It's interesting, when Jesus was on the cross, his hands were nailed. We're going to talk about that tonight. Jesus, his first statement had to do when he was first put on the cross, but Jesus' hands were nailed, his feet were nailed. What would you do if your hands and feet were useless as a Christian? We'll talk about that. This morning, I want to talk about the fact that the two that were crucified beside Jesus, their hands and their feet were nailed too. They could do nothing. What does this have to do except amplify the grace of God that God has called us to in this lifetime? Luke chapter 23, it says here in verse 32, it said there were also two others, criminals, uh, led with him to be put on the cross uh, to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they were crucified with him, and the criminals, one on the right hand and one the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. We'll take that statement up tonight because he said that about the soldiers that were crucifying him there. I want you to notice it said that there were two thieves, one on the right and one on the left. My translation calls it criminals, which is much closer to the real meaning of it. We've often heard about the two thieves on the cross and we don't have to stop to think about it, that these thieves were not just common, ordinary thieves. These were not robbers of 7-Eleven on the corner because the, the uh, Romans did not crucify people that just stole small things. They punished them, but this was not a death sentence. But these men, in fact, there's a story told in chapter 10 of the book of Luke, and this is the story of when uh, the Good Samaritan was uh, found the man that was in the road, and it said that the man fell among thieves. Isn't that interesting? They fell among thieves. And when this man fell among thieves, it says they beat him, and they literally left him for dead. The Bible said he was half dead. 
but they thought he was totally dead. It said they beat him, they stripped him of his raiment, they stole everything that he had, and they left him there to die naked on the side of the road. The reason why the Romans hated this is because people were fearing coming in to Rome. They would travel the roads. These thieves were there, and they weren't just thieves. These guys were part of Murder Incorporated. These guys were terrible. These are the ones that, again, were crucified, and, and again, the state and nation of Rome only crucified people that did capital crimes. And they displayed them in front of the people to be seen. So here Jesus was, and he was being taken to the cross, and these two were on each side of him. I want you to notice something about these two thieves. We're going to discuss them as I get into this sermon today. The two thieves that were crucified on each side of him, there was something about them that was different. They represented something. The two thieves that were on each side, I want you to notice in the scripture we started with that one was on the right hand and one was on the left hand. Does that sound familiar in the word of God? When Jesus comes back to judge the nations, they'll be divided into two groups, one on the right hand and one on the left hand. And these two that were placed there were crucified in front of everybody. And again, the word of God declares here in this verse of scripture, it said that Jesus had them on one on the right hand, one on the left hand, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jump down with me to verse 42 and verse 43. And this has to do with the end when the one thief was about to die. It says in verse 42 and verse 43, one of them said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. I like the way this starts. I didn't have it in this translation, but it says, Lord. He said, and one said to him, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. There's a big discussion around this and how do we actually know he was saved? And I pull it back to one thing. He called him Lord on the cross. He called him Lord. This is a great sign of salvation. The reason why this is so important later on in this story is the fact that when this man died, Jesus said, I'll be, you'll be with me today in paradise. He had to have accepted him as Lord because why? He had no way to prove he was Lord. I'm very much a, an advocate of this. If you're born again, act like it. If you really know Jesus, why don't you live for him? Don't just tell me you've received Jesus and not live like it. My Bible actually tells me there will be a group that will stand before him and say, didn't we even cast out devils in your name? He'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never, never knew you. Of course, the question comes, how could they cast out devils and they not be a child of God? Because they weren't falling back on the fact they accepted him. They displayed their works. Didn't we cast out devils? Didn't we do many miracles in your name? He says, I never knew you. Listen, the way to get into heaven is not performing miracles. The way to get into heaven is to say, you are my Lord of my life. I accepted you as my Savior, as my Redeemer, you died for me. And this is what this one man did by the time that he accepted the Lord. And he said to him, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's no accident that Jesus was crucified between two thieves. God foresaw it and Isaiah prophesied of it. Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53 in verse 12. It said he was numbered with the transgressors. I want you to notice this, he was numbered with the transgressors. What's interesting is, is the two thieves that were crucified beside him were not the only transgressors. The crowd that stood in front of him were all transgressors. The two that crucified him, or three that crucified him on the cross were transgressors. And yet, we think of these up there because we fall into the same category as the people standing out there, or as the, the ones that crucified him, looking up at them as if they were terrible. Why, these guys are murderers. We've never murdered. But I want you to understand something. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, you are a transgressor. It doesn't matter what you've done or haven't done. You can be the nicest person on earth. I'm going to say some things that might get you upset, and they might actually hurt you inside when I say it this way. But understand something. I'm going to get on a plane tomorrow and leave. So I'm just going to say it anyway. You don't go to heaven because you're nice. And you don't go to hell because you're bad. Let me say this, good people and bad people go to heaven. Good people and bad people go to hell. Because you don't go to heaven because you were good and you don't go to hell because you were bad. You go to heaven because you accepted Jesus, period. And you go to hell because you rejected Jesus, period. That's it. So there'll be good people and bad people, and that does not, people do not understand that. We put our whole life based on what you do, if it's good or if it's bad. 
If you're good, you're going to go to heaven. If you're bad, you're going to go to hell. And we've actually told people that. Or churches will preach that. When the whole reason is this, if you go to heaven because you're good and you go to hell because you're bad, why did Jesus have to die? It's because we can't be good enough to go to heaven. And there's only one other place to go. It's because for one thing, you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We have this idea that when we're in heaven, we're going to be standing beside somebody else. And when judgment day comes, there's going to be a row of people there. And every person is going to be looking down their nose at the one beside them. I know that person. I was better than them. When God weighs me out next to them, I'm going to be much greater because all my good works are going to far outweigh their good works and I'm going to get to go to heaven because of them. And we see each other as separate from us and God's going to judge us as an individual. He's going to look at Bob and say, well, why do you think you need to come here? Because I'm better than him. I'm better than him. I know I worked with him. I know I fellowship with him. But I'm going, to, I'm going to go to heaven because I was such a good person. God's going to say, you really have been. I weighed your good against your bad, so you're going to get to go to heaven. That's not the issue. I will not be an individual stalk of wheat standing in heaven planted with my own foundation, planted with my own roots. No, I'm attached to the person next to me. They're attached to the person next to them because I was born not as an individual plant. I was born as a limb attached to a tree, and I was born into a dead tree. The reason why the, the, reason why the limb is dead, it's attached to a dead tree. But one day God cut me off and planted me into another tree because in Adam all die, but in Christ shall all be made alive. I'm not going to go to heaven because of me individually being so nice. I'm going to go to heaven because of whom I'm attached to. I'm attached to Jesus. And there was a day I got disconnected from Satan and attached to Jesus Christ because he went to the cross and died for me and took my sins and bore them on the cross. And this is the whole essence here of what it is. Again, no accident that Jesus was crucified between two thieves. God foresaw it. Isaiah prophesied of it. Transgressors included the scoffers of all backgrounds, self-righteous people, self-righteous men, self-righteous women, self-righteous races, self-righteous because of their wealth and their possessions in business and society, looking down on Jesus and the thieves that were hanging there, judging them, saying, I'm not like them. I'm different from them. They've done this and they've done that when the whole point was every one of them were transgressors, not because of their good works or their bad works. They were transgressors because they rejected the one that was hanging on the cross for them. Jesus was the righteous on the cross dying for the unrighteous. There was a lady in our church. She was a state senator. In fact, my wife and I met her. When we met in our choir, she was part of our choir too. And so she was older than us, and so by the time that I was pastoring, she attended our church, and by that time, she was in her 70s. She came to me one day and said, I'm going to run for state senate. And I said, you are? You might walk for state senate. I'm not sure you can run very well. You know. But anyway, she was going to go and run for state senate. I said, yeah, and I said, you have any money? She says, no, but I just want to do it. I don't have much time left here. And she said, I don't like the way our nation's going and our state's going. I want to get, in and get involved. And I said, well, how are you going to do it? you have any money? She said, no, I'm just going to go knocking on doors. And she knocked on doors. Her, she took her whole district she was going to run in. She knocked on doors one after another. And everybody fell in love with her. She's the sweetest thing. They, you know, anyway, she won by a huge margin. And she was in Oklahoma City. One day she called me on the phone and said, Pastor, I want you to come to Oklahoma City and speak on the floor. And I said, why? And she said, well, we're having a group coming and they're protesting capital punishment. And I need somebody that can present the biblical case for capital punishment. She said, I can't think of anybody better. I've heard you teach on it. Would you do that? And I said, well, okay. And I said, what's going on? She said, there's a protest going to be here. I said, there are very many protesters. She said, no, just a few. She lied. I mean, big time she lied. That place was packed with people protesting against capital. They had their signs. They were screaming and yelling. And they couldn't get order in there very well. They kept trying to introduce me. Some others had spoke before me. And they shouted them down. And so my turn came up. And I looked at her. And I looked at her just like, you lied to me. And she just grinned at me. Later she told me, she said, I said, why would you do it? And why would you lie to me? She says, because I knew you could handle it. So I got up there and I was going to speak. And about the time, and this, this moderator finally got everybody to shut up and calm down. And I came walking up there, and a man stood up in the back of the auditorium and yelled at me. 
screamed at me and said, how dare you serve a God that murdered his own son, put him on a cross and killed him? And I suddenly stopped for a moment and thought, huh, I never thought of it that way. God murdered his son. I said, well, Holy Spirit, you better give me something because I'm a blank right now. I don't even know what to say on that one. And boy, did he give me something. I looked at that man. I said, sir, God didn't kill his son on the cross. Jesus said, I pick up my life when I want to and I lay it down when I want to. On the cross, he said, Father, into your hands, I dismiss my spirit, and he gave up the ghost. I said, sir, God didn't kill his son. Jesus voluntarily died of his own free will. And the moment he did that, I said, God took and poured all the sins of the world out on him because Jesus voluntarily died, and he was the innocent dying for the guilty. He took your sins, my sins, and all the sins of everybody here, past, present, future, poured them all out on Jesus, and all you have to do is receive him as Lord and Savior. I said, every head bowed and every eye closed, and thousands of heads all bowed at the same time. I led everybody in a salvation prayer. You could have heard a pin drop in that place after that. I got to speak on what I was going to speak on, and afterwards I thought, I'm going to get to heaven one day and meet hundreds of people that were in that one room that day for one simple thing from the Holy Spirit. Jesus died of his own free will. No one took his life. He did it because he loved us. He did it because he voluntarily took our sins on the cross and died for them. Two thieves on the cross next to Jesus. Why? Why was he crucified between thieves? Because the thieves represent us all mankind. They represented everybody standing out there with all their prejudices against those being put on the cross, thinking we're better than them. Look at what those people did. We've never done anything like that. You had women and men, rich, poor, all those standing out there through their own eyes judging those two that were crucified next to him when those two represented all of them for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I'm going to say something else too. If those thieves represented all mankind. Why were there two thieves? Why not one? One thief could have represented all mankind. But there were two because they represented the two answers to the gospel. One said yes and one said no. And they both saw the same thing. They both heard the same thing. They both watched the same thing, but each one came to a different conclusion. They were both imprisoned at the same time. Let me qualify that. They were both sentenced to death and went to the cross at the same time. To go to the cross at the same time, they had to be imprisoned at the same time. To be imprisoned at the same time, they had to be tried at the same time and judged at the same time and sentenced at the same time. For that to have happened, they had to be arrested at the same time. If they were arrested at the same time, they were both committing the same crime. Apparently, they had a history with each other. I personally think, and I'm going to qualify this as we go into it, I personally believe they were almost exactly the same. I believe if we trace them back, they probably grew up together. They probably got into mischief together. By the time they got into junior high school, they started getting into small crimes with each other and found out it was just easier to steal money from people than to actually go earn it. And then they probably got caught at certain times to actually end up killing somebody. They had to get wrestled past that point. We killed somebody and we got the money. Is it worth it? They came up with this. Yes, it's worth it. That person didn't need the money. We needed the money. So they began to go on further. And from there, they got wrapped up into murder. They got wrapped up into groups. They got wrapped up into criminal gangs. And after a while, they were working for some of the finest gangs in that time. And now they were robbing the sides of the roads and they were actually murdering people for money. And then on this one day they were caught. I personally probably think this happened. The two that got arrested, the rest of them ran away and got away. But these two were the ones that were caught and taken to, to, uh, to go to the, on trial. And at that trial they were sentenced. They both ended up, and they were both ended up in that cell together. But while they were there, a man was brought in. And the man was kept on being beaten and beaten. In fact, we're told in the book of Matthew, here's something interesting. The book of Matthew records this, that they actually put a bag over Jesus' face and would punch him in the face and say, if you're a prophet, prophesy who's hitting you. But as a sheep before her shears is dumb, he opened not his mouth. He never said a word. The only one he spoke to was when the, the ruler said to him, don't you know that we can, you know, we're here to take your life? He says, no, sir, no man takes my life. I pick it up when I want to. I lay it down when I want to. They couldn't kill Jesus. That's what Satan tried to do, was kill him before he got to the cross. He knew what was coming. 
He knew because of the word of God he was going to go to the cross. He tried every way he could to kill him, just like they tried through the centuries to kill him. They tried killing his line before he ever got here. They tried working through the line of Moses. They tried working through the lines of the prophets to try to stop him from coming. And whenever Jesus was born, they killed all the kids that they could. And Jesus always escaped because that was not the plan of God. He would go to the cross and die of his own free will. No one could take his life. Even in the hometown he came from. They all loved him until he stood up and preached his first sermon. Then they tried to kill him. They actually tried to push him over a cliff. His hometown. The people, they probably were right there rocking in a rocking chair Jesus built. And yet Jesus walked right out of the midst. They tried over and over again to come. They just couldn't kill him. And so Satan tried every way to get the, 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 the men around him to kill him, the guards around him, the soldiers around him to kill him. And they beat him and beat him and beat him, but he still wouldn't die. And they finally got him to the cross. He was unrecognizable as a man. In fact, we're told in Isaiah, you couldn't even recognize him on the cross. He was beaten so much. But the two men that were in prison saw this. They probably thought, wait a minute, we're the criminals here. Who is this guy? He must be terrible for them to keep beating him and beating him like that. Why would they do that? And the harder they beat him, he still never said a word. As a sheep before her shearers is dumb, he opened not his mouth. And finally, after a while, when they couldn't do any more, they actually sent him out. He had to carry his own cross. He was so weak, he fell underneath it. Someone had to come. And when they laid him on a cross and they put the nails in his hands and the nails in his feet, he still never made a sound. We're told in history that whenever they crucified him to a cross that the screaming could be heard for miles, but Jesus didn't open up his mouth. He never said a word until the cross was put into place and the first words out of his mouth was, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Those thieves on each side heard that. Who is this guy? I mean, we did bad, we murdered people, but who deserves to be beaten like this? And on top of that, the guy gets beaten, but he never says anything. And then both of them turned against him. The crowd was out there jeering, saying, you're really the son of God, get off the cross and come down. And Jesus wouldn't even answer them. And the Bible tells us the guards did the same thing. They started jeering with the crowd. But the next thing that happened was both thieves turned to him and said the same thing. Yeah, if you're really the son of God, because by now they knew who he was. This was Jesus. They never had been to any of his meetings. They, didn't even, they had probably had heard about him, but they didn't know exactly who he was. They thought he was a great con artist. We heard about him walking on water. He must have known where the rocks were so he could walk on them, you know. He multiplied loaves and fishes, probably had a, you know, a Chick-fil-A truck out in the back that was just for, you know, putting out food back there. This guy really has a con game going, and they never even wanted to go to any of his meetings, but they never heard about him murdering anybody. They never heard about that, and what that would have been, what he did was not a capital crime. Why is this guy going to the cross? At first, they didn't even know him until probably somebody mentioned his name. They said, oh, that's that guy. We used to get up in the morning, plan our day with all of Murder Incorporated, and while we were having our orange juice and breakfast, we'd read about this guy in the Jerusalem Post. He made news everywhere. Who is this guy? And now we see him, and they're crucifying him. What did he do? They still can't figure it out, but when the crowd began to jeer, they thought, well, there must be something more to this, and both of them turned against Jesus and started saying the same thing with him, and still he never said a word until he talked to the Father, or talk to somebody there, and from the cross he said the very first thing, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So the crowd was around them, the soldiers, the crowd, the two thieves. Again, these guys weren't petty thieves, but criminals. And here we come back to it again. The men were, uh, these men were crucified on each side of him because they represent all mankind, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So they both watched Jesus' reaction. They both saw him when he was beaten, not react. They both saw him when he was jeered, not to talk back. They saw him when he was laid on the cross and, and the, the nails were driven in. And still he never said a word. When crucified again in Matthew 27 and verse 44, the thieves who were crucified with him also reviled him. They joined in with the crowd and they started acting like everybody else against him. So... When crucified again, they probably had never heard a sermon by Jesus. They probably never witnessed Jesus' miracles before he was arrested. They did not see the multitudes healed in Jesus' ministry. They never saw water turned to wine. 
But because his fame spread everywhere, they must have heard about him and his works. And when they finally realized who he was, they couldn't believe it. He must have done something worse than we could ever possibly imagine. This guy had a con game going, and no one knew what was going on until apparently the Romans found out, and that's what the two thieves are talking about. They didn't live long enough to see the miracles after Jesus' death. They didn't see the darkness or feel the earthquake. They didn't see some of the Old Testament saints rise up out of their graves and come and walk into Jerusalem. They didn't see the temple veil torn from the top to the bottom. They never saw any of this. And they did not see Jesus' resurrection. So they didn't live long enough. They both died on the cross. And before they were crucified, they might have done a few good works, but we're not even told this. We're not even told they did any good works. At the crucifixion, none of their works were mentioned. You know why? Because it did not matter. Works don't save you, so why even bring it up? They might have done a few nice things, but they didn't. Their works weren't the issue. They were thieves. That's the issue. Let me tell you who the group was standing around them, in front of them. Probably had some of the finest people in the city probably had senators, congressmen, you probably had bankers, you had this, and all they were standing out there watching Jesus and looking down their nose at him. We're better than him. We're better than him. And yet all this time, they didn't realize it. The two thieves that were up there, that's who God sees them as. Let me tell you something. We're living in a day today when women are proud to be women. Men are proud to be men. We brag about the fact that, well, I'm this race or I'm that right. I'm black, I'm white. I'm Hispanic, I'm Oriental. We go down the list of all these things we're proud of. I was born in this city. I was born into money. I have an education. They'll tell you where your educa their education came from. And I'm here to tell you, none of that matters. God doesn't see you as a woman. God doesn't see you as a man. He doesn't see you as black or white, Hispanic, Oriental. He doesn't see you as educated or uneducated. He sees you as a thief. And you're either a yes thief or a no thief. That's all there is to it. None of those other things matter. In fact, let me tell you something. You didn't choose to be a woman. You didn't choose to be a man. You didn't choose to be black. You didn't choose to be white. You didn't choose to be Hispanic. You didn't choose to be Oriental. You didn't choose to be educated or uneducated. You didn't choose any of these things. You didn't choose your parents. I know some of you, by the time you got to be teenagers, resented your parents. Wished you could trade it with your friends. How many of you have never done that? I've done that. I've looked at my friends' parents and thought, boy, I wish I had them as my parents, but I had no choice in it. None of you, listen, there's not a woman here that can say, before I was born, God asked me what I wanted to be. You popped out of that womb, and about a year and a half later, two years later, you looked in the mirror and thought, I'm a woman. I'm female. I'm a male. You had no choice in that. No choice at all. Why are we arguing over races? Apparently, if you're born the way you are, God had a reason for it, and he wants to bless you no matter what your background, no matter what your color, no matter what nationality, no matter where you were born or when you were born. My daughter growing up loved music from the 1940s. I don't know why, but she just loved it. And she talked about how the times were so wonderful. She said, I wish I could have been born in the 1940s or lived in the 1940s. I said, honey, you weren't. You were born in the 1970s, so suck it up, get with it, and realize God chose you for this time period. God has a blessing for you. Just get with it and quit arguing about things you had no choice over. You couldn't help it. You don't go to heaven because of something you had no choice in. You have one choice to get into heaven, and God sends you to heaven for one choice, not because of who you are, what you are, when you were born, or anything like that. And we put all of the emphasis on that when the only thing that matters is who is Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord or is he not? Right. And once you accept him, you'll find out that God has a plan for your life because why you were born for such a time as this and you were born exactly who you are. Accept it, get happy with it, and find out that you're not going to be happy till you find the will of God for your life. And then you'll begin to find out why. Because the call that's on your life, where you're placed in this earth, you'll find out all the reasons God put you there and put you in this position. Praise God. That's just good preaching, Bob. Thank you so much. <laughs> Again, on the cross, they could do no good works to gain salvation. They couldn't guarantee doing any good works after salvation. Why? Because their hands were nailed. Their feet were nailed. What if Jesus would have said, yes, 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 you can receive me. Just find a good church and walk down the aisle. What? 
How can I do that? My hands are nailed. My feet are nailed. How am I going to do that? Because salvation is without any works at all. Even if you had no hands, no feet, you could still get saved. The point of it is all these things we emphasize. If you got saved in this church, you need to get saved in the church. You need to come to an altar down in front and get saved at an altar. Folks, you can be watching TV and get saved in front of a television. You can, a man in our church one time came to me asking how to get saved, and I told him how to get saved. He said, well, can I do it in church? I said, yes, you can. He said, do I have to do it in church? I said, no. In fact, you can go home tonight, lay in bed, and just accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. You can get in the car and drive home and accept him driving in the car. Or you can be hanging on a cross and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior because your hands are no good, your feet are no good, walking down an aisle is no good. None of that really matters when it comes to receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Again, there were two thieves because they represent one on one side that said yes and one on the other side that says no. The whole world is either a yes or a no thief, and that is it. You were born a thief. Under the curse of Satan, you had no choice about it, but you have a choice to get out of it, and that's why. Let me ask you another question. Think about this. We know there were two thieves because they represent the two answers to the gospel. They both saw the same thing. They both experienced the same thing. They both heard the same thing. Both they're watching Jesus in that other cell being beaten. They saw the whole thing. They saw him fall under the weight of the cross. They saw him crucified, nails put into him, and he made no sound at all. He never reviled anybody for what they were doing. In fact, on the cross, both hanging next to him were close enough to hear him say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. The crowd couldn't hear it. Probably the soldiers couldn't even hear it. But these two were close enough to hear that. Both heard the same thing, saw the same thing, experienced the same thing, and yet one still said yes and one still said no because it comes down to this. You are free to choose Jesus Christ. This kind of gets away from the whole thing that God made them choose because they both saw the same thing and heard the same thing, but one chose to say yes and one chose to say no. What's your choice been? Again, we're thieves, but which thief are you? The yes thief or the no thief? But I have to ask one more question. Why were both men? Wouldn't it have been better for you to put a woman and a man there? That would better represent all mankind. But see, if the man would have chosen, the woman said, see, I told you, they don't like women. The writers of the Bible didn't like women. If the woman would have accepted, she'd have said, yes, hear me roar. (laughs) I'm so proud to be a woman. Well, fine, be proud to be a woman. I'm proud to be a man. All right? But don't get on to me because I'm proud to be a man. I won't get against you because you're proud to be a woman. I'm glad you are. But the point of it is that still won't get you into heaven. That's not the point. The point of it is, is this. There were two men there. Why? Because God wanted to be an equal, and there is no representation of partiality at all. I not only believe that they were both men, I believe they were the same age. I believe they had the both same nationality. We go down the list of things. I, got, I think God had to make them both exactly the same, hanging on each side to show there's no respecter of persons with God. Same age, same education, same financial background. And I think that's why they were there. God didn't put them there. No, but on that day, God saw what was going to happen. That's the day he wanted Jesus Christ to die between them. And they represent all mankind. God doesn't see you as special because you're a man, doesn't see you special because you're a woman. He doesn't choose you special because of your background or education or financial background. He chooses you for one reason. You said yes to Jesus Christ. It starts with your choice, and this is what happened. So on the cross again, it came back to this. Why two thieves? Why both men? So there was no prejudice involved at all. Both heard and both saw the same thing, yet still one said yes and one said no. So that Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 comes to pass there without excuse. So the choice was theirs, it wasn't God's. God's sovereignty, there's so so much today and it seems to be on the rise again today that God sovereignly chooses you to be saved or God sovereignly chooses you not to be saved. And it all comes back to his choice of whether you're saved or not. Let me tell you, is the sovereignty of God involved? Yes. The sovereignty of God gave you Jesus, but your sovereignty accepts him. It all comes back to this. Yes, God chose for Jesus to do this. You had no part to play in God choosing Jesus to die for your sins and Jesus choosing to be used by God to, for taking the sins of the world. So 
In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, we are simply told he will have all men to be saved. And in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. One thief realized the choice was his and saw Jesus as God, his Savior, and called him Lord. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You know what that simply means again? Salvation is a gift to be received, period. Think about this. I'm going to ask you a question. He said, today you'll be with me where? In where? Paradise. Huh. Think if today a murderer was going to death row. And on the way to death row, we've discovered something. This man had been doing this for years. I mean, there's dead bodies under foundations of buildings across the city. There's bodies out there in, in the ocean, bodies out there in lakes that have cement tied around their feet. This guy was brutal, and that's what these guys were, very brutal. They developed into these lifestyle where they didn't have any care for any person at all, any way to get rid of them just to get their money was all they were after. And we found somebody that had been doing this for years and years and years, and finally we caught them. Finally we had the proof on him, and this man stands in front of the judge to be sentenced, and he says, I'm going to sentence you to a condo in Maui for the rest of your life. <laughs> there would be an outrage across this nation, people screaming, how dare, what you did, what? But God didn't care. Jesus said it out loud. I'm sure the other thief heard it. I'm sure if anybody was standing close enough to say, today, I'm telling you, you'll be with me in paradise. Because you know what it comes back to? It's not what you've done or haven't done. It's the fact you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Good people and bad people go to heaven. Good people and bad people go to hell. But you're in heaven for one reason. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that's all there is to it. There was one on each side. I'm glad I'm on the side that said yes. I'm not glad. I'm, I'm, I am glad I'm also the one on the side that said no. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and my personal Savior. So it really comes back to this. What about you? What about you? The thieves represent us. Before today, you might have never gone to church. Maybe those who raise their hands and have been to this church have never been to a church. Or perhaps, you know, you've gone to churches before, but you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. And perhaps you've come to this church and love it. But you're thinking because it's such a good church, it's charismatic, they teach the Bible, now I'm on my way to heaven. It doesn't come back to works at all. It comes back to simply saying, Lord, remember me. I'm not worth it. I'm not worth being saved. I'm not worth having anything forgiven in my life because I know my past. If I look back at my past, I can't see anything good. But I'm going to receive you as Lord and Savior. He says, today, you'll be with me in a condo on a beach in Maui for the rest of your existence. That's what God does for us. Isn't God good? Amen. I don't hear a whole lot of amens, but Bob, that's just really good preaching. Thank you so much. So you may or may not have done any good works. You may or may not live long enough after you received Jesus to do any good works. And this man had done probably no good works. He didn't live long enough to do any good works. But it was so absent from works, all that God looked at was that one statement. And he received Jesus as Lord and Savior. So today you've heard about God's plan through Jesus Christ. Eternal life and paradise is a choice. The most familiar verse about salvation is John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world and that's you, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So it comes back again, which thief are you? Are you the yes thief or the no thief? I want every head bowed and every eye closed. It's not too often I just preach a simple salvation message, but this one stands out so clear and paints the picture so clear. These men had done no good works at all. Probably could never remember helping a woman across the street, picking up something that somebody had dropped. These men turned into evil and corrupt men. Yet Jesus went to a cross to die for them. One said yes and one said no. 
you've never accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, I'm glad you're in church today to hear this. Because you won't hear this in too many places. Everything seems to revolve around being a good person. God wants you to be a good person, but he wants the good one to be in you first of all. To produce it through the power of the Holy Spirit in a recreated life. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, would you just hold up your hand for a moment and say, I want to be a yes thief. I want to accept him as the Lord and Savior of my life. Anyone? Well, this is basically what I expected. Would you look back up here at me for just a moment? You know what the second part of the impact of this message is? You know clearer how to bring somebody to Jesus Christ than you ever have. To realize they don't deserve it. And what they've done before this doesn't count. What they'll do after this doesn't count unless they simply receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. But how often are we part of the jeering crowd that's out there because of our education, background, nationality, all the things we have, we look down on everybody else when we are just as much a thief as they are because we're born a thief. You're not the righteousness of God. You were born under a curse from Satan through Adam. And one day, you change trees. And you now have eternal life because you're attached to a living tree. As in Adam all died, Christ shall all be made alive. I'm so glad I accepted Jesus. But you know what? It sure makes it easy to lead somebody else to the Lord Jesus Christ. Sat beside a woman on a plane one day. I like to witness on airplanes. They can't go anywhere. And they're stuck with me for at least an hour and a half. And I love to bring it up in conversation. My favorite way to bring it up is just to ask somebody, what do you do? This lady sitting beside me, she started just spilling this thing out. She's an educator. She worked at a very highly reputable university. And she hadn't been talking to me for two or three minutes, and I could tell this, this woman was so liberal. Everything about was so liberal. No matter what she talked about, everything was, you know, I've done this and I've done that, and this is the right way to do everything. And she said, what do you do? And I said, I'm a minister. Oh, you are? What kind of church do you minister in? I said, we're full gospel. We believe the Bible. We believe Jesus died. She said, oh, I mean, you can see her. She just, no. She said, do you think Jesus is the only way of salvation? I said, yes. She said, how arrogant can you be to say that I am the right way? I said, no, no, it's not arrogant. She said, yes, it is. If Jesus said I'm the only way, then she said he's wrong, he's arrogant. She said, what a bad attitude. I said, no, no, you don't understand. Jesus didn't say that because he was arrogant. He said that because he was confident. He was telling the truth. So let me ask you a question. What if you were in some city and you were just as lost as a goose? I mean, you didn't know where you were. You pulled up to a corner and you don't even know, and you, say, and you, and you pull up to the corner, you roll down the window, there's five people standing out there. And you say, listen, I'm trying to get to this city called Paradise. Can anybody tell me how to get there? And one guy says, oh, you're going the right direction. Just keep going down this street here. And the second one says, no, no, it's that way. The third one says, no, 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 it's that way. The fourth one says, no, no, it's that way. And the fifth guy says, shut up. I live there and work here. I go back and forth every day and have done it for years. Stay in the right lane, turn at the next corner, stay in the right lane again. You'll enter up onto a road. It's kind of narrow, but it'll take you all the way to the city of paradise. Would I look at him and say, you arrogant thing? How dare you think you know the right way? Or would I say... Thank you for telling me the right way. Jesus deserves a big thank you for saving me from four or five or ten wrong directions Amen. and telling me the right direction. Amen. And telling me about a place called paradise where he lives and works here yeah. and goes back and forth and back and forth and has for years and knows the way to heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. I didn't know it till afterwards. There was two Christians sitting beside me, and they were having, uh, behind me just having a great time. They're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they told me, they said, we were rooting for you. We were rooting for you up there. I said, well, I trust something got through to her because she was speechless after that. Aren't you glad Jesus came and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life? See, when we witness to people now, we can honestly tell them, he's the way. All you have to do is accept him. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He said, I'll tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. And I believe he was probably the last ones to get there and one of the first ones to leave whenever Jesus emptied paradise after a few days. It simply comes back to this. We're called here for one major reason.
and that is to lead people to Jesus Christ. Listen, I'm all for voting the right way. I'm all for a great government, but I'll tell you, that's not the reason I was left here. I was left here for one reason. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit's come upon you to be my witnesses. I'm all for getting the right people in office, the good things about that, but I can tell you this, I'm more for there is one in office that cannot be removed. His name is Jesus Christ. And I'm calling people to accept him as Lord and Savior and follow after him. All these other things are good and important, but I can tell you the most important thing of all is to know Jesus Christ because his kingdom never will go under. We won't have to elect him every four years. We won't have a Congress or a Senate or all these other things are slowing everything down. All I can tell you is Jesus Christ is Lord of all and I'm glad I've given my life to him. And his eternity is my eternity. His future is my future and he's yours too. Praise God. Thanks for being here today. Bow your heads with me if you would. Father, I simply ask as we come back to it that you showed us how simple salvation is. You've showed us our present condition. But Father, we'd simply come today to ask you. Father, we want to come to you humbly, present ourselves anew and afresh to become a stronger disciple of you than ever before. Father, we want to be more than a convert. A convert gets to go to heaven, but disciples take others with them. Father, I want to be a disciple of you. Father, the greatest rewards I want in heaven is not robes and crowns, and Father, or a throne to sit on. The greatest rewards I'll have is people around me that accepted Jesus Christ because I took up the great commission to witness for you. And Father, I ask that that become our prayer today. Father, I want to become a greater minister of yours and realize that every person out there needs to have a chance to hear about Jesus and accept him as Lord and Savior. I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.